Hello everyone, my guest today is Dennis Mortensen. He is the co-founder and CEO of X.ai and the author of Data-Driven Insights. Dennis is an expert in leveraging data to solve enterprise use cases and serial entrepreneur who successfully exited several companies on that theme. He is also known to speak to anyone that will listen from the crowds of Web Summit to building his doorman about optimistic future of AI productivity and the future of work. So Dennis, first of all, welcome to the show. Thanks much for having me. It's great to have you, man. So I've heard a lot about you. I read a lot about you, but of the audience, I don't know how many people know you. So tell us a bit more about you and you know what you're up to and how you actually got to where we are today. Ooh, I could have my mom turn that into a four-hour seminar on just <laughs> how fantastic I am. But let me try to do the uh, compressed version in a couple of minutes. So I think I might have earned the right to call myself an entrepreneur. So I am now 24 years into the idea of running startups. I spent about five years on each and X.AI is my fifth venture. And we've been uh, so lucky, perhaps a little bit of talent along the way to have three of those companies get acquired. And uh, one of them went tits up and uh, the vote is still out on X.AI, but I think we're off to a good start. And X.AI is this venture for where we spent the last five years trying to engineer this agent, Amy or Andrew, that can schedule meetings on your behalf. And it's not that you don't know how to schedule a meeting. You send me an email, I reply back, we do a little bit of ping pong. It's just one of those little chores for where if you could escape it, that would be awesome. So that's what we're working on. And uh, I certainly encourage people who are interested in AI to uh, you know, go check it out. It's uh, free of charge. Mm -hmm. So you, you really went fast into XRI. So, uh, so when, when did you found your first company and what was it? So that's a good story. So I did game development when I was in college to pay for you know laptop and beer and entertainment and what have you, like uh, all of us. And the funny thing is that the company which I worked for went bankrupt and the way you pay students certainly back in the day was on delivery because they are super fucking flaky so don't pay them anything unless they give you what you want them to do for you and that meant I spent almost a year and a half working on a project where I received uh, no pay and I was to be honest angry disappointed I said the whole thing was supposed to be perfect I get some money I pay off whatever tiny debt I have and take my bicycle and go work for IBM. I said, that was my plan in my head. Mm -hmm. And in my anger, I hired my or a, a lawyer to go look at the assets. And I ended up buying the assets of that company back when lawyers didn't have much idea of what is the value of software. So today, if you want to buy anything from Google, so they, go bankrupt. It would not be tables and chairs and buildings. It would be all the kind of intangible IP. They didn't really know that back in the early 90s or certainly not in the same way. So I bought that dirt cheap. I finished up the game title we were working on and I sold that and made what I thought was a small fortune. In hindsight, perhaps not as much as I thought it was, but certainly uh, back then. A, so how uh, much was it? It was a uh, six-figure sum but certainly enough money for where, hey, okay, I got money in my pocket. Um, 
certainly more money than my uh, next door neighbor, but not as <laughs> in uh, a one life's lottery. And it's all about sitting at the beach, sipping uh, mojitos, but just enough. The funny thing though, is that at that moment, I hadn't yet translated that experience into one of me wanting to be an entrepreneur. So I thought, mm. you know what? Let me take this money quickly, lose it, and then I go work for IBM. So I started on June 6th, sorry, June 1st in 1996 on an internet analytics company. And if you ever want to start a new internet company, doing it in the mid 90s is good timing. So I thought I, I would guess, do that yeah. quickly. <laughs> and we ran that up over the next four years and sold it in April 11, 2000. So if you want to sell a dot-com company, you want to sell it in April 2000. So, so, so what, what did the company do? What, what was the company about? We did, uh, on one hand, think of it as traditional kind of web design, but certainly our speciality was one for where we were able to do analysis of the traffic to that site. Mm -hmm. So you and me just find it completely natural that we can slap a pixel on a website and get statistics in real time from Google Analytics. Yeah. Not so in 96. That was I a guess. little bit more of a science. So we extracted log files from web servers and ran this not in real time to provide the statistics and insights into the companies that uh, gotcha. we So that was the, uh, the beginning. And on that, uh, I made a uh, slightly, slightly kind of bigger pile of money, put that in my pocket and started a new venture. And blink, 20 years later, We've done a bunch of them. That's amazing. So you have done a lot. You just told us that. What were some of the best resources that have, 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 that have helped you along the way building multiple companies and successfully selling those companies, to be honest? On the resource and before the internet had the amount of material that you can go extract today, say this chapter included and 10,000 things on top of it was mostly a set of mentors sound perhaps too strong, but certainly people which you trust so that when you try to validate something in your head, everything makes sense. Mm -hmm. But then when you need to use it, take action or execute on it, how do you know what you convince yourself is indeed true? You need to be able to kind of, kind of spar with somebody. And I yeah. found a set of people early on before you could go read a blog post on whatever the subject matter that I could spar with. That certainly helped me a lot. And I found people who were perhaps just a few steps ahead of me. You don't want to find people who are so far ahead of you that there's no relationship to their world and yours. Mm -hmm. There needs to be some overlap in that Venn diagram. So I found some CEO of an agency also in the kind of what we would call internet space back then that doesn't make any sense when we talk about it in 2019. But certainly today everything is internet. <laughs> exactly. And they were probably 30, 40 people and we were you know, a handful of people. So there was just enough of a memory on his side on what he did when he was mm. my size. So that worked very well. Then, of course, uh, over time, I think uh, we've been exposed to just a tsunami of information 
online and it's more a matter of how do you go find what is true and what is not or what is a good fit with what you will work on and what is not. I would add just one slight footnote to that that might be some sort of overlap between the two worlds. So before any new venture, where it's certainly very easy for you and me to convince ourselves that we come up with a great idea. As in you and me could mm -hmm. spend another two hours on this podcast, come up with an idea and fall in love with it. If you're just a little bit entrepreneurial, falling in love is very easy. True. Falling out of love is a lot harder. So what I've done before any new venture is to at least call in a set of experts on whatever the subject matter. That could mm -hmm. be you're doing something where there's some scientific inflection point you want to make sure that you get the science right or some commercial inflection point you want to make sure that you attack the market in the right way and i bring them in for a multi-day set of sessions where mm -hmm. their only job is to convince me to not do it as in i am here to defend my idea you are here to kill the idea because if you can kill the idea in three days that is certainly a whole lot cheaper than me spending four years of my life on it so that is uh, something that I've kind of applied as a process before we start our new ventures. Got it. So you just said people. That's something that I hear a lot, that kind of like people and networks are, you know, some of the best resources that people had along their journey. So can you name me three people except your family who have been most influential to you during your journey? I would say the next door neighbor aka that agency who were two or three steps ahead of me and Jesper certainly injected a lot of him into me so Jesper uh, is the, the name of the guy yeah got it got it and it's a Danish name and that was a ton of learning without it being exposed as learning Sometimes just being around people, you extract uh, ideas of how to behave, ideas for how to make good decisions, ideas for how to go from this step to the next one mm -hmm. without it being a, let's spend an hour and a half trying you to teach me to do this thing. Yeah. So you and me being around each other, you being two or three steps ahead of me, lets me at least see what you do. Then I can uh, you know, extract yeah from that what I like and uh, discard what I think might not be a good fit with my kind of particular situation. And then there was my co-founder two years in, Klaus, another Danish name, uh, who certainly just by being, he must be eight years older than me, which sounds like nothing when we get older, but when you're right out of college, that's the difference between 22 Dance and 30. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, like, it's, it's, it's not eight years, right? It's, I got one year of work experience. You got 10 years. So it's yeah. kind of a 10x, right? Uh, he certainly, again, in very much the same way, injected a lot of him into me and I absorbed a, a ton of it. Got it. That's, that's cool. Do you think there was a unique skill that has helped you to become successful. You know, you have done so much stuff. You've written a book. You've built up five companies successfully. Probably there's, there are some more ventures that you have been involved in. What was your core skill that has helped you to get there? So we all think we are special, just like our mom told us. 
Uh, perhaps we are not, but I do think we are all unique. And we should then try to figure out what are the unique parts inside you so that you can capitalize on them. Don't mm -hmm. pretend to be somebody else because that would at least suggest to me that you're trying to capitalize on something which you are not. So you will have something which is super unique to you. What you need to figure out is whether that particular skill is something that you can capitalize on as an entrepreneur. I would mm -hmm. like to believe that two particular skills of mine served me well over a 25 year long entrepreneurial career and five ventures. <clears throat> and I didn't do anything else. As in, I don't angel invest, I don't sit on boards, I don't do anything but my ventures. When I say I did five ventures, that is it. That is my life. And currently, just to, to get context, currently it's only x.ai, correct? Only x.ai. As in, I got one email, I got one investment, all my stock is in one company, x.ai. I don't sit on some other individual's board every second Thursday. I don't call into some advisory board. I come so to is work. So is, is that a strategy that you follow? Is that a strategy that you follow to deliberate. own? That's a deliberate strategy. I want to make sure that if I win, then I can take credit for it. And if I lose, then I can say, at least I played the best game I could, as in, There's no more energy or enthusiasm or time I could have mm -hmm. injected into this. This was the best I could do. Perhaps I just wasn't good enough. It wasn't the right timing. It wasn't the right team. It might be a hundred reasons for why it didn't work, but it's certainly not one where I can go back and say, Dennis, had you just done this? No, this was it. It's kind of like uh, you and me somehow end up playing in the World Cup and we got that 90 minutes, if you play for 90 minutes, you better be on the field for 90 minutes. You're not standing on the sideline talking to somebody else about, hey, you know what? I'm thinking about these other things. You gotta yeah. go play. So that's certainly uh, just my viewpoint. Plenty of other people will suggest that you should go angel invest and you should go sit on these boards and you should get all this external exposure. But I'm not saying you shouldn't get that. I'm just saying you should at least try to focus to the degree for where there can be no doubt about yeah. you playing the maximum extent. Yeah, no, and I think that's actually, a, I think that's a skill because there is so much distraction out there currently and everyone wants to do everything and it's really hard to focus on one thing. And I, to be honest, I don't know anyone who just focuses on one thing. So I think that's a great skill to have to be able to just focus on one thing. It's somewhat easy to be half-assed at seven things. It is almost impossible to be world-class at one thing, but you should at least try to be world-class at one thing. So yeah. I'll go back to answer your question. What are those particular skills? My can be one skill. Can be, can be one skill, yeah. I, I do think I would pick, uh, if I was forced to, one, it is certainly an advantage sometimes to be technical, qualified, qualified around what you are working on. So I took a CS degree that gives me some advantages where I can go make things myself. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that is not needed or making things yourself in other verticals. It's not kind of committing code to production. That is something else. But that's only a skill that sometimes serves you well. And if you want to do tech ventures, which is what I do, then yeah. it's, that is my unique skill. Two, I did door-to-door -door sales as a kid. So my dad was a salesperson. 
and to make a little bit of money when you're in fifth grade because you want to buy whatever new album you need to kind of to make 20 bucks you got to go sell something so i was selling fruit door to door if you sell anything door to door and you do it not 10 times but a thousand times every kind of three weeks then all of a sudden you build up a sales muscle that's amazing where Nobody really of my tech entrepreneur friends have done 10,000 kind of sales calls. I knocked on 10,000 doors between the age of nine and 15. And if you knock That's on 10,000 doors, you become a, a little bit of a hustler because you just want that new ACDC album when you're 13. <laughs> and I'll, I will knock on another 17 doors to make that happen. And I think yeah. the stamina that I was able to, uh, extract from that and the kind of sales gene that I didn't even know I was building. I just wanted the bloody album was a really good one. And that's certainly a unique skill for where I've been able to pair a technical capacity and ability to you know, commit code to production with that of also being able to sell stuff. I love that. Crazy. I really nice. I, I, I love that. It's amazing. Is there a CEO founder that you're following or studying right now? I like plenty of CEO and founders. What's, what's the, the number one that you, you know, consume content, maybe try to learn from them, listen to their podcasts or whatever? That's a good question. The one that I've read up on and perhaps uh, I like the, I like what they're trying what he's trying to kind of teach me. He's an awful human being. He died not that many years ago, but Felix Dennis, he's a British entrepreneur. He used to, be, used to own uh, Dennis Publishing. They were the publisher of uh, Maxim and uh, also PC Magazine and all sorts of things. And he wrote a book called The Narrow Road. It is uh, a very rude book. It is kind of the opposite of the kind of cozy wording you get out of Silicon Valley. Yeah. Uh, and it will teach you one thing, which is to really love your equity. As in, don't surrender any share unless you think that's going to be a good exchange. Mm. And that is certainly something for where once every pick any number of years, I'll pick up that book just as a reminder. If that's I were good. to pick another one, uh, instead of kind of injecting the, the usual ones here, right? Uh, perhaps Mike Tyson, uh, yeah. if you read his uh, autobiography, you, you, first of all, you'll be surprised that he's alive as in, how does anybody survive what he's been through? Not the kind of uh, eight minutes in the ring, everything around it. So, he essentially ran a solo company, right? So as an individual, somehow he was able to extract, pick whatever number might be right, but let's call it $300 million over mm -hmm. a very short amount of time. Yeah. And I think the one thing that that will teach you or at least expose you is who can you really trust? So he couldn't trust anybody. And the whole book is really just yeah. an amazing story about how everybody all around you are trying to figure out how do I get some of that money that you made? Mm -hmm. And it's really a sad story. 
That I like, that's a good uh, backdrop as well on who to trust. And then perhaps lastly, uh, which is a newest book from uh, Phil Knight, the CEO and founder of Nike. He wrote a book called Shoe Dog. That book is actually just, you read it in one sitting. It's just a good story about mm -hmm. how they went from nothing to this kind of dramatic kind of sports brand. empire that they built and brand really, the very definition of a brand, if anybody's got a brand is Nike. And you read the whole book. And first of all, you're kind of surprised that it turned into anything because there's these kind of seven moments where Nike shouldn't have existed, right? Mm -hmm. But if you read it to the end, there's just a few pages uh, given that his son dies where I think he's trying to tell us mull over whether you think it's going to be worth it. As in, if you spend a lifetime building something, make sure it's worth it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it is it's not. not. Yeah. And you should at least uh, have some set of thoughts around that. Because otherwise you can go through life and get to the end for only to figure out, Yeah. I'm not sure it was worth it. So those are certainly uh, three good books on one, and, and people, one on how to uh, really treasure your equity, the other mm -hmm. one on who you can really trust, and the last one on why am I even, why am I even doing this? Um, yeah. Sorry, Got long it. answer. No, that's good. That's good. Uh, I know we have to, to do a hard stop in four minutes, but I have four other questions and four things I want to talk about. So first one is, do you have any routines that you strictly follow on a day-to-day -day basis? I go to the gym every day. And Amazing. on one part, because you and me sit like this all day, that doesn't really yeah. uh, do much to our bodies. So I do it simply just to be kind to my body, but I also do it to kind of build up stamina. So sometimes doing something which you don't like is a good way to build up stamina. And running any startup is really just many times about who can stick to it the longest. As in, who's just willing to not yes. give up? Not about yes. who's willing to come up with good ideas. No, who's willing to not give up? And that requires some stamina. How do you then train stamina? That you probably do through some exercise, no pun intended, for where you force yourself to do it. And you know what? There's days for where I don't want to go to the gym, but I go. Uh, so that's one. A quick other one is, I wouldn't want to say every weekend, but let's call it every second weekend if I'm more honest. I take the subway. I live on Wall Street, which is on the southern end of Manhattan, all the way to the other end. Then I walk back. It takes me three hours. No, oh, that's amazing. No iPhone. No so what, sub, what, what, what subway stop is that the other end? Because I was there last year for half a year. Oh, you can take the two, three on one side or the four, five on the other side, whether you go west Got side or, or east Got side. It. But it's really okay. just a matter of getting to the other end of the island. And then, and then you just kind of walk back. That's amazing. I think that's a great routine. And that already actually, so the, the sport answer already answers my second question, which was how often do you do sports a week? So every day, that's great. <laughs> um, um, the, the second last question, what do you wish you would have started when you were 20 years old? That's a good question. Yes, what I, I would, <laughs> as a venture or as a life 
anything. Can be anything. Could be a company, could be kind of like develop a technology, invest in something, I don't know. Here's the thing that worked out in my favor. So I ended up having kids early. So I, I already sent my oldest daughter to college. And mm -hmm. it's not that I look that old. So I just had kids early. So if you are in a position where you know at some point in my life, when I get older, I'm probably going to end up with a family of some sort. Yeah. If you're an entrepreneur, do not be afraid to do it early. I didn't do it by design, but I think I might have done it even earlier if I could yeah. redesign it. So my wife, Got it. and we've been together for 25 years today, by the way. Um, oh, congratulations to that, I, man. I, I should talk to her instead of you, but uh, <laughs> I need to bring back some flowers. Um, but, but she was 23, I must have been 27, but I did all five ventures with kids throughout. So that wow. is possible. Crazy. Okay, so 60-second answer for the last question. Where do you see your industry going in the next five years, in the next 30 years? I think we've reached this inflection point for where the UI paradigm is about to change. So I grew up in the command line. My mom grew up on the graphical interface. You, my kids, whoever grew up on some sort of touch interface, aka mm -hmm. mobile or what have you. But we're just on the verge of seeing the conversational UI breakthrough we're not there yet it's still a little bit kind of amputated talking to your alexa or whatever yeah but we're getting there we're moving forward when that happens we will finally democratize access to compute that means you don't need to be an expert you just need to have good questions yes. and you know what if it's about good questions that means it's not about who's able to find the answer no it'll be about who's got the best questions that yeah. excites me a ton. That I think will happen over the next kind of half decade. Uh, we'll that. see that really proliferate. Then in 30 years, oh, that is crazy. Long right? time. We will have no idea. I do think, uh, I do think virtual reality at some point, I don't think it's now. We always think it's just about now. It must arrive. As in, you and me must sit with some helmet in 30 years. Let's Living talk in 30 years. <laughs> we should put it on the calendar right now. Okay, let's, let's do it. I'm going to send you an invite right now. For, you should do that just for the fun of it. What is it? 3rd of December in 2049. Ooh, Blade Runner. Going to do that. Thank you so much for being on the show, Dennis. Time well spent.